Hi, my name is Paul Crandall, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey and we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc.isunrise.com. That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're going to find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. We're all on this journey of leading people to Jesus, helping them grow in that faith and discover the joy of, of, of giving it out and serving and being like him. Uh, and so that's what Sunrise is about. I, I just re I'm really thankful I get to share God's word today because it's, it's an important word as it relates to that relationship with God. When you think about God, I mean, that's like huge. Think about God. Wow, that's big. What's your view of God? What's your perspective on God. Jesus paints this beautiful image of God as a father that loves us, that wants to know us and have a relationship with us. And we participate in some of that by prayer. And so I want to talk about prayer today because in the writings of Luke uh, for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about prayer. And I get the honor of preaching this Sunday and next from Luke 11 uh, verses 1 to 4 and then next week 5 on to 13. And I want to think about prayer for just a minute. So when you think about your life, uh, what does prayer look like? Is prayer a, a tack on to um, like your, your dinner? Or is it when you're driving in the road and you almost get run over, that's when you pray? Or, you know, I remember those kids, those days as a kid praying before a test, that kind of stuff, you know. And what does prayer look like for you? When you if, if you just kind of examine your prayer life, what is that like? What does it look like? Um, what do you pray for? Do you pray for financial security, uh, some relational conflict that's going on? Do you pray uh, for things that are in your immediate life or in your family? Do you pray for others? Do you have a prayer list that you pray? Uh, we have the pictures of missionaries up on the wall there, and you have a prayer card today Pastor Paul's going to talk about, but is that kind of your life? You pray, you have this specific thing you go through, are you organic? Do you go on prayer walks? I love that. You just go and you, you head out to the hills and you just spend time with God in prayer. Or do you feel a little awkward in prayer? Like, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray about. Today we're going to talk about that. My friend D. Duke, who's a pastor uh, down in Jefferson, he's been up to Sunrise, spoken, and he's done prayer conferences. He said it this way. He said, much prayer, much blessing, little prayer, little blessing, and no prayer, no blessing. And I love that. And sometimes 
uh, because sometimes I don't see a lot of prayer in my life. Um, I like how Dee says it. I, I resonate with it. I'm, I'm like greedy for God's blessings. If he gives me a lot, if he promises a lot, I want as much as he's going to promise, right? Well, that means that we have to be in an intimate walk with him. And so if you were to evaluate your life, is, is, there, is there much prayer? Is there some prayer, little prayer? Is there no prayer? That's the blessing that will come back in your life. Um, what would it take for you to grow in prayerful dependence on God? Not just like I did my prayer, but that prayer is a part of your life. Like the Apostle Paul said that we pray without ceasing. We just live our lives in a, in a moment, in a concept that we're constantly having a conversation with God. Now I think too often that our misconceptions about prayer result in frustrations with prayer. I think that many of us struggle with the idea of prayer because we're what Bible scholars say we're biblically illiterate, you know. We don't really read and understand the Bible. Now, we understand about the Bible. We understand the big concepts. Um, but we don't really, like, dig into it ourselves. And therefore, our preconceived ideas about prayer sometimes disappoint us. And then we're disappointed in God, right? But maybe the Bible didn't say that. In fact, you know what the good book didn't say? <laughs> the good book didn't say moderation in all things. We think that's what the Bible says, moderation in all things. That good book didn't say that. Bible didn't say that. How about this one? Spare the rod, spoil the child. The good book, the Bible didn't say that. You're not going to find those exact words in the Bible. How about this one? God won't give you more than you can handle. Amen. The Bible never said that. God never promises that. In fact, he will give you more than you can handle so that you depend upon him, right? But he will be there in that moment so you don't fall in that moment. How about this one? God helps those who help themselves. The good book doesn't say that. The American way says that, you know, our own culture. If you just do enough, God will fill in the gaps. We get our performance mentality. We get our, like, I got a bunch of brownie points for God, and then God will see how much I'm doing. He'll, like, fill in the gap. That's not what the Bible says. How about this one? Money is the root of all evil. Man, when I was a kid, I used to watch the monkeys. You know, those are the fake beetles. And, um, I... <laughs> But I love Davy. Davy Jones was awesome. Um, and and uh, in their kitchen on the wall was a sign that said, money is the root of all evil. I thought that was what the Bible said. It does not say that. That's not what the good book says. We think it says that. How about this one? Love the sinner. Hate the sin. The Bible doesn't say that. Uh, this is good. God works in mysterious ways. That's actually a poem. That's a song. This one's good. This too shall pass. That's Shakespeare. <laughs> And this one I love, cleanliness is next to godliness. That was your mom, right? Yeah, got to honor your mom, all right? We're biblically illiterate, and as a result of that, we get frustrated with our misconceptions of prayer because then God doesn't deliver that way. Here's a quote for you. I love this from the Gallup researcher, George Gallup. He said, Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. And this really shows up in our understanding of prayer. Now, I was talking to my youngest son about this. And um, I remember as a kid hearing the story of Jonah and the whale. I know it's a fish, but that's what I heard, Jonah and the whale. When I thought about Jonah and the whale, this was my image, that he's in this big cavernous area um, in a chair with a table and the ribs are here. And I'm like, oh, wait, that's Pinocchio. Yeah, doesn't Disney distort our view sometimes? I, 
I love Disneyland. It's great. Went to Galaxy's Edge. I encourage everybody to do that. That's great. But, but Disney sometimes paints an incorrect picture of prayer and the understanding of prayer. And then we get disappointed when it's not like that. But we don't know what the Bible says. For example, think about this. Have you ever thought about your prayers as if, God, if you just wave that magic wand. Oh, wait, that's the fairy godmother in Cinderella who does that. Okay. Turn the pumpkin into a carriage, you know. That's what the fairy godmother does. God doesn't do that. Or how about this one? If I could just get the right prayer and I could rub that lamp like a Aladdin, a genie. God bless Robin, you know, Williams. I, I loved him. Loved him. That's great. God's not a magic lamp we rub to get our three magic wishes. Or how about this one? If God, if you just sprinkle some of that pixie dust. Ooh, that's Peter Pan, right? Or this one. If I could just memorize the right words. It's like an incantation, hocus pocus. That's actually witches, okay? All right? And so our, our disnified biblical understanding really disappoints us when we come to the Bible. We go, I didn't think it was like that. I, I like my magical incantational view of prayer. But prayer is a relationship. It's a relational tool. It's not an enchantment tool. God is not interested in all your dreams coming true. In fact, he's not even promising that you'll live happily ever after. But he's promising you can know him and you can walk with him. And no matter what happens, you will have confidence that you have a relationship with him. And prayer is that tool. It's not an incantation tool. Prayer is a relationship with God. Now, as we journey through the writings of Luke, we're going to see a little bit about this. And it's written all through Luke's writings in Luke and Acts. But today I want to focus on chapter 11. So if you have a Bible, open up to Acts 11. The verses will be on the screen, but it'd be great if you had your Bible open. And uh, Luke 11 has uh, the first four verses. It writes about prayer, and it's what we call the Lord's Prayer. Now, Matthew records it as well, but a longer version. Luke has a more condensed version, but the same basic element. So I want to jump into it, walk through the prayer, hit some high points, and then uh, make a challenge as we go through it. So the first of all, let's read that. Verse 11, now, it says, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. Now, if you were a disciple of a, a teacher, of a rabbi, you were called to be that disciple. You were chosen to be that disciple to carry on that message of the, of the teacher, of the rabbi. And so as a disciple, you would want to learn everything you could about your teacher. You'd want to learn how they speak, how they teach, how they do all the things, how they live. Because you wanted to become like your rabbi. You didn't just want to have the head knowledge. You wanted to be another manifestation or a representation of that rabbi and that certain way of life. And so Jesus' disciples didn't just want to learn like a method. They wanted to learn and understand the very motivation and the very understanding of what it meant because Jesus prayed unlike them. And they saw Jesus pray and that they marveled at that. And you, know, you don't see any of the disciples going, Jesus, teach us to preach in parables like you. Jesus, teach us to do miracles like you. Jesus, teach us to do these other things. The one thing they come to and they marvel at is his prayer life, his prayerful dependence. They had seen him over and over and over again in the Gospels. In fact, about 40 times you see examples of Jesus withdrawing with God, getting his power for his life, 
and presence of God to go out and then do the ministry of God. And they saw it and they knew it. They had seen and some probably they had heard like the the prayer at the baptism or in the, the days in the wilderness or they saw him pray all night long before choosing the disciples. They saw him pray before doing the miraculous like feeding the 4,000, the 5,000, casting out demons. Jesus prayed before meals obviously but he prayed so much and in such intimate communion with the Father, they wanted that. They wanted to be like him. They wanted to have a prayer life like Jesus. Not just something to memorize, like an Our Father, which is what we're talking about today. Not just a rote, let me just repeat it so it's mindless. There were a lot of prayers like that going on. There were a lot of religious people teaching prayers like that. They wanted to have the same relationship with God the Father that Jesus had because they saw how it affected everything he did in his ministry. And when they witnessed that, they said, that's what we need. Now, now think about that for just a moment. As a follower of Jesus, if someone were to witness your life, your walk, we call it, with God, what would they want to emulate? I mean, if you were, (laughs) to use our modern terms, if you were an influencer, for Jesus, what would they want to, would they want to wear your leggings, wear your sweater, wear your nails? Would they want to say your words? Would they want to listen to your music? Would they want to drive your car? Would they want to live in your house? What would they want? Jesus' disciples wanted to pray like Jesus. And so Jesus honors that request. And Jesus' personal prayer time fueled everything he did publicly. Would that be true of us today? You know, it's kind of like football game, which, by the way, I'll be done in 28 minutes for kickoff. Um, Like we bust out of the locker room with Queen, we will rock you, we are the champions, break through the paper. Do we want to have like this, we're the champions kind of thing? Do we want to like have this power to do whatever we want to do in life? Well, if you want power in your spiritual life, it only comes through prayer. It only comes through intimacy with the Father. Jesus had it, and his disciples knew it, that his personal time with God fueled his public ministry. If you really want to bust out, and if you want to do some significant things for God, the only way to achieve that is have an intimate walk with God so that the overflow of your intimacy and prayer life with God spills out into everything you do. Now, Jesus prayed to have a close, intimate relationship with God, so he honors that by teaching them about this. And it's beautiful. Again, Matthew records a longer version, looks a little shorter, but it's very, very, very familiar to us. So this is what we see as we jump into verse 2. He says this, And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now, there's a lot packed right in that, so let me take a few minutes. First of all, Jesus says, Uh, Focus on giving reverence to the Father first. When you begin your prayer, remember who you are and who you're not, okay? God is your Father. Give reverence to God the Father. Now, that wasn't a common, some did it, but it wasn't a common understanding of a connection with God. Because in the Jewish world back then, and even some days today, and in the very, uh, you know, faithful Jewish people who are still considered devoted to worshiping God, they revere God to the point where they never say his name. They never revere him in the way that Jesus did because that's too interpersonal. It's too close. We want to know that his name is holy and he's holy, holy, holy. And they never spoke his name. 
Even today, you can, you can read, you can discover, you can talk to people. They won't even write the word God, G-O-D, it's G-D, lest they bring it down so low that it profanes the name of God. You know what profane means? It means take the high and holy and bring it down to today. But Jesus said, when you approach God, approach him as your dad. Now, in the common language of the day, it would have been Abba. It would have been Abba, this idea of your, your father, your heavenly father. And you think about a relationship with God as a father. Now, I will tell you up front that I struggled with that for many, many years. Because in many ways, our relationship with our earthly father colors, paints our view of a relationship with the heavenly father. And mine was pained. Mine was a struggle. There was... Um, some negative emotion that came. I, for years, I could not pray, Heavenly Father. It took a lot of healing in my heart to where one day I could do that. And I could actually embrace this idea of God as my Father. Jesus is inviting us, even though God is high and holy, to embrace and come close to him as your Abba Father, your beautiful Father. The Bible doesn't reveal a God we can perfectly understand, but the Bible does reveal a God we can perfectly trust. And the reality is this. He's your father, and you can trust him. And as the old saying is, father knows best. So when you approach him, begin with the word father. And it's a familiar word, but then he moves to this idea of hallowed. Now, hallowed is like, okay, now he's not just your cool dad. Okay, now he's God. Hallowed, this idea is he's set apart. We often think about it like sacred uh, in the temple, in the tabernacle. Uh, you have these pieces of furniture and elements, and you could have probably found them all over Jerusalem, but these were set aside for God's use. These were sacred. This table was a holy table, not because it was made of better wood, but because it was dedicated and set apart. In a sense, when you say, hallowed be your name, you are honoring and reverencing the separateness of God, how higher God is than all of his creation. And then, he goes into this. He says, now let's submit to the Father's will for us. And he says, your kingdom come. Now, in a moment of transparency, I want to tell you, I don't like to pray that some days. You know what I like to pray? My kingdom come. Any bad people in the room with me? Anybody ever go, God, I know what you're doing in here, but this is what I want? Anybody ever struggle with God's will versus your will? Raise your hand. The rest of you are liars, okay? Because we all want it done our way, right? We're like, okay, God, if you could just align your will to my will, God is not interested in aligning his will to your will. You know what he's interested in? Aligning your will to his will. Power in prayer is not about getting your will up into heaven. <laughs> power in prayer is about getting God's will down into your life. That's where real power is found. When we align ourselves up to God, and I, I admit, sometimes I want certain things, and I just pray that God tacks on some blessings to that. And he'd just much rather find out that my heart is aligned with his than have to push me into that alignment. It's about the understanding. I used to beg, oh, man, I remember as a kid, long before I even knew God, I would beg God. I would bribe God. I would bargain with God. I was, this, I was so bad, just like. Sorry, it's just confession day for Pastor James. I would lie there in bed when I hadn't studied for the test, and I'd pray, God, just help me get an A. And if I get an A, I'm going to give you my life. And boy, if you have my life, God, wow, you'd be all set. Isn't that stupid? Isn't that silly? 
because I wanted my will done. God is far more interested in his will being done. Friends, what would that look like? Family of God, what would that look like if when we got up in the morning, we honored him and revered him as an intimate but holy God, and we said, God, tell me about what you want today. Because I know I have a list. I got, I got 10. I counted them. I got 10 lists. Family and friends and Sunrise staff and my church venture staff. And I've, I've got a bunch of lists. I've got sick. I got cancer lists. I hate that list. I've got unsaved lists, people I'm praying for to come to Jesus. I got, a lot of, I got a lot of prayer lists. What if we just said, before I get to my list, God, what's on your list today? I want that for me. That is power in prayer. When Jesus says, your kingdom come, he expresses a couple basic thoughts. The first is an affirmation that God is king and we're not. Because every kingdom has a king. And when we say, your kingdom come, we're saying, okay, God, I'm, I'm reminding myself of my place, but I'm also reminding myself of your place. And the second thing is, is that we want what God wants, which is best. You know, the, the beautiful thing is we have infinite power in an intimate God, and he invites us to come to him, and he invites us to share our cares and concerns. And so that's what he moves to next. Ask the Father about your needs. And he says this in verse 3. Give us each day our daily bread. That's great. Give us today, each day, our daily bread. God loves you, and he cares about every nuance of your life. And he invites you to bring those things to him in prayer. He wants you to do that. Now, what's really fascinating about this word daily bread is it only shows up once as a word in the Bible, Matthew and Luke, so two times, but, but once, one scenario. But it never showed up anywhere else in the New Testament. And so the original word, it was kind of a mystery because there wasn't any perspective on the word. Because Bible scholars and translators will go out after other literature and see how it's used. They couldn't find it anywhere. Until in the late 40s when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, those scrolls left in Qumran in the caves down by the Dead Sea. They found a lot of scripture. In fact, if you ever go to Israel, to Jerusalem, you can see in the shrine of the book, the Isaiah scroll wraps around the building. It's just touching. They found it. They found a lot of the Old Testament, most of the Old Testament, which confirms what we have as the Bible is accurate, which is kind of cool because it was buried at the time of Jesus or maybe just around then. And then they found a lot of other religious teachings. They had rules about how you wash and how you bathe and how you eat and the prayers, and a lot of religious duty. And then they had some real practical scraps of paper, as it were. And when they read those, they discovered that this word daily has this implication. Daily bread. It was like a daily shopping list because, think about it, folks, they didn't have electricity. They didn't have Netflix. They didn't have refrigerators. And so food only lasted for that day. The day at the end, the bread would mold. In fact, you know how long their Twinkies lasted? One day. There were no preservatives. You better eat it right away because you won't want to eat it tomorrow because this is daily bread. And so the list is this. I know we have Costco. We can get like boatloads of stuff, right? 20 gallons of mayonnaise, okay? I understand that. They didn't have that convenience. And so when they wrote their list, they said this is the sustenance the food we need today and it won't be good tomorrow it reminds them of the man in the wilderness remember the story god has the israelites out there and and they're they're hungry and so he provides for 40 years the manna the 
the little bread-like flaky substance that falls on the ground, coriander seed mixed with honey, and they would go out and they would collect about two quarts per person. But they couldn't collect more or it would spoil because it was daily manna. Except the seventh day on Sabbath, they couldn't go out because it wouldn't be there. But on the sixth, they could get twice as much and it wouldn't spoil. God's miraculous, right? He's reminding them of a daily provision. And that's what Jesus is saying. You have today's needs. Now, what he's also saying is don't worry about tomorrow's needs. Don't worry about next week's needs. Why? Because then you start to stress and you get anxious and you worry because you're thinking about the future, which may not come true. I love this. Ian e. Bounds, great writer of prayer, he said it this way. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are in a measure shutting tomorrow out of our prayer. We do not live in tomorrow, but in today. We do not seek tomorrow's grace or tomorrow's bread. They pray best who pray for today's needs, not for tomorrow's, which may render our prayers unnecessary and redundant by not existing at all. We need daily provisions, so never, ever, ever hesitate to go to the Father, to adore Him and admire and to acknowledge Him as God, and then to align your will with His and then say, God, but this is what's in my heart right now, because God is your Father and He cares about that. And then he goes into not just like this daily provision, like physical, but there are some relational needs we have too. We need daily food. We need daily peace. And he says this, and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. We've got physical needs. We've got relational needs. We are to be the kind of people that are so quick to forgive that the example of God and how he forgave in us is daily lived out. Because remember, God did not wait for us to come to him to come to a moment where we said, okay, God, would you forgive me? In Christ, he forgave us. Romans, Romans 5, 8 says, but God, while we were still sinners, sent Christ to die for us. Long before you and I were ever born, he looked ahead and knew, and he loved us and forgave us. So as a result, as followers of God, we follow him in practice, and we forgive freely. And I know that's hard. I, trust me, it took years for me to forgive my father. I know that's painful, but we don't wait for the other person to come to us. We forgive in advance. Why? Because that's how God forgave us. Forgive as the Lord forgave us. That is how we are to clean up our relationships. Because sometimes we get a little crusty in our heart, a little coated and caked on, a little hard-hearted and bitter. We are to be people that should be so quick to forgive. I like to think of this as like a daily maintenance program. Now, that sounds kind of weird, but I like to work on cars, and um, I like to do my oil, and I like to do rotation, and break every 6,000 miles, I do oil and filter and rotation and check the fluids and things like that. I love that. Why? I don't know. I just like to know that when I drive, my car's in good space. I like to change brakes. I like to do that. I follow the maintenance manual, and at 60,000 miles, this is what I do, and every 6,000, I do this. I like that because I want to make that car last as long as possible. And in the same way, in the same way, Forgiveness is like a daily maintenance program, so your heart doesn't become hard and bitter. Now, finally, in addition to physical and relational needs, he does give this spiritual thing. He says, and lead us not into temptation, to which I would say that's kind of a, a poor translation because God never tempts anyone, neither does he lead anyone into temptation. But the understanding of the way the language is, it's don't let us yield to temptation. 
God, don't let us give in. God, I'm being tempted today. How many of you were tempted in the last week? Some of you are tempted to sin by not raising your hand because it's pride, right? Seriously, folks, come on. We're all tempted to sin. We have an adversary. We have an enemy. He knows us. He knows our weaknesses. We have a God who knows our weaknesses, who knows our temptations, and he will give us strength to say no to that temptation. Now, we may not always say no, right? But he gives us every ability to have a way out. And so Jesus says, just tell God, God, don't let me yield. Don't let me say yes. I've said yes so many times. I don't want to say yes. Give me power to say no, and he will provide the way out. Don't, God, don't let me yield to this temptation. It's strong. Now, let me just sum it up, and then it's, it's kind of fun. I want to show you on the screen here. It's really three things Jesus says. I don't normally have three points in my sermons. Normally my sermons are pointless. But what I love about this is that, see, I say that every time and everybody laughs. Thank you for loving me. I'm just an old guy with the same jokes. Give reverence to the Father. That's a good way to begin. Submit to the Father's agenda. And then ask the Father to meet your needs. I love that. That's Jesus' model for prayer for you and for me. Now, I want to say this. This is, this is kind of fun. This type of praying, this prayer is a prayer of defiance. This is actually a prayer of rebellion. You, you know who you're rebelling against? You know who you're defying? Your own desires. The desires of the culture around us. Because think about it. If you pray, Father, I, I want to take care of myself. I want to be my own boss, right? The world around us, they don't want to acknowledge that there's a supernatural God. Or they might have to submit to him, right? That's rebellion when you pray, Father. Hallowed, man, they don't want to hallow God. They want to profane God. They want to have their own system of morality. Your kingdom come? Uh-uh. Man, definitely not. There's no political person out there. There's no Hollywood person out there. There's no group of people out there. There's no mall out there gathering saying, hey, let's all shop and let's sell stuff considering how the father might want his will done, right? They don't want that. They have a different bottom line than we have. Each one of these statements is a prayer of defiance. It's a prayer of rebellion against, against this idea that we have that we are God and we're not. We have a father. And when you pray this way, you're just reminding yourself, you're not him, but he is good, and he loves you, and he wants to know you, and you walk with him. I, um, I love this quote from theologian Carl Barth. He said this, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. I love that. Every time you clasp your hands in prayer, every time you bow your head and close your eyes, and you go to pray, you are defying the systems of the world because you are dependent upon someone else. And this world does not like that dependence. So what does your prayer life look like? Jesus modeled it. And he gave us this beautiful prayer that starts with the high and the mighty. And then it moves into the very practical and the very personal. It begins with lifting up God. And then it ends by lifting up our needs to that very same God. It's an invitation to a relationship. It's not a ritual to pray. And if Jesus, God in the flesh, prayed this way, and he did, I'll show you in a second, how much more do we need to pray this way? In fact, he didn't just give us a prayer to memorize, he did it. So I'm going to take you back to this one scene. Uh, Luke records it in chapter 22. 
but it's the night when Jesus is betrayed. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. And he is praying, and he is praying, and he is praying, and he's going to his father because he knows what's going to happen the next day, and that's a struggle. And this is how he prays. Let me take you there. Look what it says. It says in Luke twenty-two forty, and when he came to the place, he said to them, his disciples, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's the same prayer he taught us. He says to the disciples, don't yield to temptation, right? And he says, Father, and he starts with this, this understanding of the cup he's looking into of suffering. And he says, not my will, but your will be done. And then on the cross, he wraps the prayer up by saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. So Jesus didn't just tell us how to pray. He prayed this way. In fact, here's what I'd like to do before we close. I'd like to take a moment for us to pray that way. And so I just take a moment, close your eyes, bow your head. It's a moment of reverence. And I want you to take just, just 10 seconds. And I, what, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give reverence to the Father right now. Call him your Father and hallow his name. Now pray a prayer of alignment, of submitting your will to his will in whatever is the most important thing in your heart right now. And now pray a prayer of dependence, telling him about your daily needs. about forgiving someone who's hurt you. About not yielding to the temptation that often overcomes you. Amen. Friends, God is a relational being. He's a father. And relationship requires communication. So prayer is a relationship with God. It's not an enchantment tool. It's not pixie dust. It's not a magic lamp or some little wand to wave. You have far more than that. You have a father that knows you and loves you and cares for you. I got to be honest, some of you don't, <laughs> okay, here or online. You don't actually have that relationship with God. And so prayer is foreign to you. Or your prayers bounce off the ceiling, as it were, right? But we urge you as a church to know him. And that doesn't come by working for it. It doesn't come by earning it. It comes by receiving it through Jesus Christ. Um, imagine if a kid in the neighborhood just knocked on the door and walked in and took up residence in your bedroom and asked you to make him a meal. You're like, who's this kid? And he needs to go home, right? Because you don't have a relationship with that child. But your own child knocking on the door, bringing them in, yeah, wiping their dirty feet, 
giving them a lunch. You love doing that, right? See, if you don't have a relationship with God, you're like a kid that knocks on the door of a house you don't even know. But that God wants to know you. To be invited in is to welcome his son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. And you could do it. It just takes a moment of honesty, of confession, of acknowledging your own sin, your own brokenness, and saying, God, I have sinned against you. But I believe that Jesus is the one that came to cover my sin. You know, in a moment, we're going to go to the tables and we're going to receive a piece of bread that represents Jesus' body on the cross, given for us in a, a cup representing the blood of Christ poured out to cover our sin. And you can't take that <laughs> if you don't know him because it doesn't mean anything to you. But to those who know him, it's a relationship. Pray with me. Father God, I want to thank you for your love. I want to thank you for your tenderness. I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, none of us deserve any of the things you bless us with. But you love us so much that you gave us your son, Jesus Christ, who came and who taught us this way to pray, but also went to a cross to die for our sins. May we not reject that amazing gift, but may we receive it and be in a relationship to you where we can call you Father, Father God, Abba, Daddy, Papa, and we can pour out our needs to you. May we know you with such intimacy that that shines like a light for the world to see. A defiance, a rebellion against our own self-sufficiency and the systems of the world to where that would be an attraction to people that you're drawing to yourself. If we've received this today, if we've acknowledged this today, that you are our God, man, we're just so, so, just, so blessed as a church to be a part of making disciples. May we enter into a relationship with one another where we could walk the way of Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.